May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 1. And I will catch up with you there in just a moment. I want to say thank you, Bo, for the way you read that text from, from Hosea. I hope you were listening to the Word of God and that you got a sense of the tender mercies of our Father as He calls His children to Himself. And I hope that you were moved by uh, the Spirit of grace as you listened to the good news coming to you from the prophet Hosea. And that will tie in nicely with the theme of our sermon this evening, which is the children of God. This will be more of a topical sermon as I hope to walk us through the writings of the Apostle John and tie together a couple of loose threads that uh, were sort of left lying around as we made our way through John's gospel. In his book, Knowing God... J.I. Packer says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. I think Dr. Packer is on to something crucial here. For many professing Christians, the Christian life is simply about a set of right doctrines or the right set of experiences or the right moral code or the right prayer book or on and on you could go. In other words, the Christian faith and life are utterly depersonalized. It's something that happens intellectually in the mind or it happens emotionally in the heart. But throughout the Old and New Testaments, we see that the Christian faith and life is something that should happen personally and relationally in communion with God. Well, as we will see today, what Dr. Piker says, the critique that's embedded in his statement is not the way things ought to be, not the way things are supposed to be. Our sermon texts for today are two places, actually. The Gospel of John 1, 11 to 13, and 1 John 3, 1 to 2. Now, you could follow along in your Bibles, or you can simply read along in your worship order. But if you are willing and able, I invite you to please stand for the reading of God's most holy word, and listen with the ears of faith what the Spirit says to the churches of Jesus Christ. The Word of God reads, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. 
Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word. And all the church says, Amen. you may be seated. We are all God's children. I've heard people say this as far back as I can remember. When I was a little kid, one of my friends actually tried to convince me that he and I were in fact brothers on the basis of this statement that we are all God's children. His line of reasoning went like this. We all come from God. God is our Father. God is the Father of all. We are God's children. Therefore, we must be brothers. And we are brothers in God's eyes. And he was one of those friends who liked to end a lot of his statements with, in God's eyes. In God's eyes is another phrase from my childhood that has in the mouths of many people, tried to serve as this irrefutable trump card. You know how it goes. If something is in God's eyes, it's bound to be true and right no matter what anyone else says. And so when my friend said to me, we're actually brothers in God's eyes, he meant that as you have to be my brother and I have to be your brother and we can't get out of that. Rabbi Charles Feinberg explains the roots of this idea in an article that he wrote at Interfaith Action for Human Rights. He said, The idea that we are all God's children is rooted in the closing verses of the first chapter of Genesis, which proclaims that God created the world and created human beings, male and female, in His image. The Apostle Paul made a similar argument to the philosophers on Mars Hill in Athens when he quoted a pagan philosopher, a pagan poet, where he said, we are his offspring. Paul's point was not that we are all God's children in God's eyes, but rather that we all came from God. God did not come from us. So the rabbi is right that God is our creator and we are his creatures that God is our source and we are his offspring. But is he right to leap to the conclusion that God is our father and we are all his children? There was a time when it was easy to believe that we were all God's children in God's eyes. When I was a child, we all believed that. Everyone knows that's right and true, right? We all know that. We all hear it. Oprah Winfrey has tweeted, We are God's children. God has a plan for us all. We all share in God's love. And you know that if Oprah tweeted it, well, it must be true. I even came across an old, I think it's obscure, an old obscure song by country music artist Alan Jackson called, We're All God's Children. It goes like this. I will not attempt to sing it, but it goes like this. Here comes a Baptist, here comes a Jew, there goes a Mormon and a Muslim too. I see a Buddhist and a Hindu, I see a Catholic and I see you. We're all God's children. We're all God's children. We're all God's children. Why can't we be one big happy family? Now, I am no country music 
expert at all. But I will say that this cannot be Alan Jackson's best effort lyrically or musically. I've actually heard much better come from him. But to answer his somewhat rhetorical question, one reason we cannot be one big happy family is because we are not a part of the same family. And we're not a part of the same family because we don't even have the same fathers. And in reality, we actually have different fathers. All of the people he mentioned there would claim to have different fathers as well. Now that might come as a surprise to some of us, but as we've seen in John's Gospel, this is what Jesus came to show us and to tell us. And so this evening, with the time remaining here, I would like for us to trace our family tree from root to branches, so to speak. I want to do this by taking a few scenes, highlight a few scenes from the story, show you a few snapshots of God's family from John's writings, and I will suggest to you that if you look closely, you just might see yourself in one of these snapshots. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we learn that Jesus, the Word, came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, who were born not of the will of the flesh, and born not of the will of man, but born of God. Now, it's this word gave the right to that has confused a lot of people. It does not mean that they were given the right to refuse to become the children of God, that they could take it or leave it. That's not what this statement is about. It means that they were given the power to become children of God, that they were authorized by God to become His children by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. So here, children of God are not to be confused with children of men, or as we will see later, not to be confused with children of the devil. John is arguing that the children of God do not come from the, quote, scare quote here, right bloodlines or the right family or the right people group. They are not earthly and born from below by the flesh. They are heavenly and born from above by the Spirit of God. This is the truth that Jesus was trying to convey to Nicodemus that night that Nicodemus went to see him. On the surface, Nicodemus was the kind of man who seemed to have had every advantage and every privilege. He seemed to have been born with the right bloodline or born into the right family or born into the right people group. After all, he was a Jewish man who was at the top of his game. If anyone looked like a child of God, it had to have been Nicodemus. And yet, in God's eyes, Nicodemus was not a child of God at all, at least not yet. That is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This must have baffled Nicodemus, as it would baffle any of us if Jesus were to say something like this to us. After all, Nicodemus was a devout man, a religious man, a theologian, a leader in his community, and yet just like the rest of us, 
He needed to be born from above by water and the Spirit. In other words, he needed to be born of God because at, up to this point in his life, he had only been born of blood, born of the will of the flesh, born of man. And that simply wasn't good enough to make one a child of God. The big picture of Scripture, we learn that no one is born into the family of God by nature, but only by grace. No one who is born of the flesh and blood only is a child of God. They're simply a child of Adam, or worse, as Jesus will say in a moment, a child of the devil. But anyone and everyone who is born of water and the Spirit is, in fact, a child of God. You see the difference there. One is the result of man's desire and effort. The other is the result of God's desire and effort. Now, it's hard for us to hear these things, but it's the truth. And in case any of you are doubting at this moment whether there is such thing as children of God and children of the devil... And if you're doubting whether my friend all those years ago at the age of six or seven actually knew what he was talking about, listen to what Jesus says to a group of men who were very much like Nicodemus. In John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to a group of religious leaders who are in the same circle as Nicodemus. And he's already gone to Nicodemus. Now he's going to speak to a group of them. And in the midst of their discussion, they say to him, we have one Father, even God. But Jesus pushes back and says, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Answer, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And then he ends with, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus obviously disagreed with Oprah's tweet. We are not all God's children. And while that sounds like bad news, there's actually good news attached to it, as we will see in a moment. Now, according to Jesus, it doesn't matter who your founding fathers were, or which nation you came from, which denomination you were a part of, which festivals you like to keep, or which Bible stories you know. You must be born of the Spirit. And when he says you must, he means all y'all must be born of the Spirit. If you don't believe the truth about Jesus, the simple fact is you're not a child of God, but a child of the devil. Now, when Jesus mentions the devil in his teaching, he means the real devil. He doesn't mean a Hollywood devil or a cartoon devil. He means a real devil, the father of hatred, lies, and violence, the impersonal, finite dragon that's introduced in Genesis 3, the real devil who is a crafty serpent who seduced our mother Eve and caused her to doubt God's word and deny God's word and even disobey God's word. He's referring to that crafty 
serpent who separated man from God and snatched us into his family. He's talking about a real devil who does real damage to real people. Ever since the fall of man, everyone who is born of the flesh is by nature a child of the devil. But everyone who is born of the Spirit is by grace a child of God. I pause to let that soak in for just a moment. Now ask, does this mean that everyone is stuck where they are, that no one can get out of their situation, that no one could ever be saved? When Jesus called those Pharisees children of the devil, did he mean you're children of the devil, you'll always be children of the devil, you can never change? The answer would be no, God forbid. The reason the Father sent Jesus into, into the world was to deliver his people and to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Father and the Son sent the Spirit into the world was to breathe on the slain and to blow them into the family of God. In other words, the fact that someone is a child of the devil today does not mean that they have to be a child of the devil tomorrow or even always. Remember what Jesus said. The Spirit blows where He pleases and breathes on those for whom Jesus died and brings them to life. So if Jesus laid down His life and shed His blood for you, the Spirit will bring you to faith in Jesus Christ. Sooner or later, you will be adopted out of the devil's unnatural family into God's supernatural family. Now the question is, how can you know if Jesus laid down his life for you? How can you know if Jesus paid your ransom and purchased your redemption with his blood? And the answer is this, it's not... Surprising how simple it is. The answer is this. Only by believing in Him with your heart, mind, and soul. So do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh? Do you believe He is the Savior of the world? Do you believe He is your Savior? If so, He will give you the gift of eternal life. He will give you this gift that involves liberation from your sins and death, but it also involves adoption into his family. But if not, if you refuse to believe, then know this, that you will remain in your sins and in that dysfunctional family of the devil. I want you to notice something in this big story that is subtle and yet significant. In the Upper Room Discourse, remember we spent much time there, but in the Upper Room Discourse, the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus spoke with his disciples and he called them little children. Then, right after the crucifixion and resurrection, he met with his disciples and spoke to them again and he called them children once again. Now, some people might read that and say, well, it's just a term of endearment. Jesus is trying to show how kind and loving he is towards them. And that is part of what's going on. But there's something truer and better going on as well. Calling them little children was his way of letting them know that they were given the right to become the children of God in his name. 
that they were in fact born of God, born from above, born of water and spirit. Calling them little children was his way of letting them know that God was their father and they were all brothers together and they were in fact his brother in God's eyes. The Apostle John picks right up where Jesus left off and towards the end of his ministry he wrote these words to the people that he loved and served and these words echo to us as well. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Do you see that the, the root... That the basis of our adoption into the family of God so that we become children of God is in the love of God. What kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? If you are a child of God, know this, it is because the Father loves you. And He loves you with the love with which He loved His Son, Jesus Christ. So like Jesus, the Apostle John is calling the people he loved and served, notice this, he calls them little children throughout his epistle. And he calls them little children not because he sees himself as their father, but because he wants to remind them that God is their father, that they are in fact little children, children who are loved by the Father. This is his way of letting them know what Jesus let him know all those years before, that they are born of God, that they are adopted into the family, they are delivered from the devil and loved by the Father. It's also his way of letting them know that the Father has a deep purpose for them and that he is not finished with them yet. In other words, is it not enough for the Father just to adopt you into his family and say, there, you have a place in my family. No, he, you have a place in the family, but now you have purpose. And what is the purpose for which God has brought you into his family? The purpose for which God has brought you into his family is this. He's adopted you into the family for the purpose of helping you become transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, the one and only begotten Son of the Father. Not in His earthly state of humiliation, but in His heavenly state of exaltation. We are being transformed into His image. And so the Spirit of God is helping us to walk in the light and to walk in love and to walk in the life of Jesus Christ. The Spirit is working to reform and conform us to the image and likeness of Jesus. Now echoing Jesus, the Apostle John makes it clear in his letter that we are not all God's children in God's eyes. The Father makes distinctions between the world and the church. He makes distinctions between those who are, in fact, His children and those who are not His children. And if any of you are bothered by that, let me just point out that you do the same things in your life. You might love all of the children around you in this church, but when we leave after our fellowship meal tonight, you're only going to take your children home with you. 
No matter how much other children might want to go with you or how much you might want to take them, you're going to take your children. Why? Because they're yours. And you're going, you love your children in a way that you don't love other kids. Nothing wrong with that. It's right and good for you to love your children in that way. John wants us to see what Jesus taught him to see, and that is that there are two fathers and there are two families. One good, the other bad. One true, the other false. How can you know which family is yours and which father you belong to? Well, you don't have to play a guessing game. John makes it clear that it is manifest who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. And this is it. Everyone who does not do righteousness and everyone who does not love his brother is not from God. And so the litmus test for discovering whether you are in fact in God's family and God is your father shows up in your real life. Do you practice righteousness? Do you love one another? In other words, do you walk in the light? Do you walk in love? If you do those things, even by fits and starts, those are signs that God is your Father and the people around you are your brothers and sisters. Little children, you know who your Father is by what you look like, by what you think like, and by what you act like. If you have been born from above by the Spirit and the Word of God, then God's seed or God's spiritual DNA abides in you. And as that works within you, you begin to take on the traits and characteristics of your Father. So as you mature, you look more like your Father God and you act more like your brother Jesus. You find yourself overcoming the world and its soul-killing desires and deceits. You find yourself walking in the light as God is in the light and the blood of His Son is continually cleansing you from your sins. You're loving one another as Jesus loved you and you're even laying down your life and your stuff and your time for one another. You're one of God's children. You bear His name. You live in His house. You act like His Son. You live by His rules for His glory and for your good. Now you might be thinking, well, why does all of this matter? We, haven't we heard all of these things before? And I would say, of course you've heard it all before. But this is a reminder and this is why it matters. In his book, Children of the Living God, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson says, This is the way, not the only way, but the fundamental way for the Christian to think about himself or herself. Our self-image, if it is to be biblical, will begin just here. God is my Father. The Christian self-image always begins with the knowledge of God and who He is. I am one of His children. I know my real identity. His people are my brothers and sisters. I recognize the family to which I belong and have discovered my deepest roots. Do you think about yourself and the Christian life in this way? Now if not, you should. Because God has given you the privilege and the advantage of thinking about your life in this new way, in a new way of relationship with God.
little children in our Father's house, there is room enough for all of us and more. Not only to dwell in our own private rooms, but also to eat and drink at the family table. When we come to the table, we come rejoicing, trusting that as God's children, we are called by the Father and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, our brother, clothed in the righteousness of Christ and comforted by the Holy Spirit. We are reminded that we have every right to come to this table because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. In days to come, when your children say, why do we come to the table? Why do we eat the bread and drink the wine? What will your answer be? Your answer will be something along these lines. Because we were slaves of the devil in his dysfunctional family. And God the Father sent His Son in the power of the Holy Spirit to deliver us from the devil and destroy His works. And He's brought us into Christ. He's brought us into His house. He's given us a place in His family. He's given us a seat at His table. We come to this table by grace through faith in Jesus Christ because it is here that we find life in Jesus. And it is here that we eat together with our brothers and sisters, the children of God who, like us, have been adopted out of a terrible family situation into a truly beautiful family situation. We've been adopted into the family of God. As we come to the table today, let us keep these great truths in mind and let us remember that all of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ are the children of God. And we are brothers and sisters with one another in God's eyes. Let us pray together. Oh, merciful Father, we do not presume to come to your Son's table trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under his table, but you, our Father, always have mercy towards your children. We ask you, therefore, to grant us, gracious Father, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. All these things we ask and pray as the children of the living God, in whom dwell the Holy Spirit. Amen.